Hey, everybody. It is episode 55 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. I've got Steve on the line coming from Colorado, where he's spending the holidays. We're recording this actually before Christmas, but it's posting on January 1, our first episode of 2018. And we're super excited to kick off the new year and also kick off this episode talking a little bit about new beginnings in 2018. We're going to talk a little bit about resolutions and how to make the most of them, but then spend most of the of the episode talking about beginner running. And for your friends that might be beginners or for those that are listening who might be starting a running program, we wanted to give some basic tips for beginners. Some of those that might be counterintuitive to what you've heard in the past. We've had this as a request from several of you that that Sometimes we're a little too advanced on this podcast, and while we won't continue, and while we will continue to cover advanced topics, we do want to back up a little bit and hopefully help those that might be new to the sport. So that's what we're talking about today. How are you, Steve? I'm fantastic. It's snowing like crazy up here in Buena Vista, Colorado. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So I had no snow on my drive up, but it's snowing now. That's exactly the way you want it. <laughs> it's appropriate for this holiday season that Steve's in the snow and I'm sitting here at 75 degrees in Austin, Texas. Seems about <laughs> seems about right. You guys have the doors open. <laughs> exactly. Doors open, everything's sunny and beautiful outside. So first, Steve, we're going to kind of depart from our traditional intros. Usually we start by talking about some current running current events, but we're going to start this new first episode of 2018 by talking about resolutions and for those that are into resolutions, how to get the most out of them. And we'll start some tips on that by giving a little bit of a story of an old rogue. He hasn't trained with us in a bit, kind of away from running at the moment, but an old rogue, Mike Weiland was, was a longtime team rogue member. Steve, you coached him for a long time. And at the time when he was training with us, a, a, centerpiece to our team road community. I remember five or six years ago, maybe longer now that when he was training with us, he used to do new year's resolutions in a unique way that I think has some application for everybody. It's also a little bit funny, but the first year I met him, he had picked a resolution. This was probably in 2012, maybe 2013. And it was that he was going to drink 50 milkshakes that year from 50 different places. (laughs) And his his goal was to get other people on board with that resolution to also drink 50 milkshakes. He loosened the requirements for those that were joining him because he was doing a lot of traveling at the time and had access to a lot of different spots where he might be picking up new types of milkshakes. But 50 milkshakes from 50 places, ideally, in that year across basically one per week. And he was going to track them with his Facebook account, posting every unique milkshake and where it was from. And he would give sort of, you know, little details on whatever he was having and how good it was that other people might use as tips for what milkshakes to go grab. And I always thought that was cool and unique because it was just different. One, it was kind of fun and playful as a resolution. But two, it was also super, super measurable. 
and he was getting other people involved. So then it became accountable. And so as we enter this resolution season, and as you think about those re- your resolutions, I think that's a good example to build from, even if your resolution might be a little bit more serious. Just as an example, for some of you, it might be that you're trying to be more consistent with your running, in which case your resolution might be to do five runs every week for the first eight weeks of the year. So 40 runs for the first two months of the year in order to build your consistency and start you off right. And that's something that you can track. You can get a calendar, you can put together a training schedule and then check those boxes for each of those 40 runs of the new year. That's just one example. What might be other examples, Steve? And what, what do you think about resolutions? I think resolutions are fantastic, mostly because so rarely do we have key opportunities that sort of make us reflect on a year in the past and and re, and look forward to the year in the future. And it's to me, it just gives this perfect opportunity, sort of right in the middle of what is sort of like day to day living or hour by hour living in some cases, week by week living, to sort of look at it from the bigger picture and the larger perspective. And so I think resolutions are fantastic for that reason. Um, I also think that I love Mike's Willen's version of it because it's big, you know, Chris, we like those big goals, but it's also a little bit, um, a little bit off kilter and off balance. And I don't think our listeners need to necessarily go that far. But one other thing I might suggest for folks is pick a number of miles that you want to run in a year. But one of the key things about that is if you're going to do something like that and say, and then stretch yourself, right? So I want to run um, a thousand miles this year over a 12 month period. That's what, Chris? It's like, uh, I don't know, I can't do the math. I'm terrible at math. 20, 20, 20 miles, miles per week, roughly. roughly. Right. So that's pretty simple and pretty easy. But what happens if you didn't only ran 10 miles a week through July and then you have to make up to 30 miles a week in June? I mean, after in post July. That's something that's actually kind of exciting if you're going to stick to your stick to your guns, but also it sort of keeps you honest throughout the whole time. And I think one of the major problems you see with New Year's resolutions is once somebody misses the first day, if, they, if people do streaky things, if they miss a day or a week or a month, then all of a sudden they feel like they're off and they don't have to do it anymore or they can't do it. And I would love to see people build in sort of check stations along the way that allow them to sort of renegotiate. Okay, if I missed it here, maybe I renegotiate and, and get more in later. Because we really, the key thing is that you want to get a sense of achievement at the end of the year. Um, that's crucial. The other thing I would suggest, um, and this is, uh, our listeners will be getting this on January 1st, but it's also really important to think about is January 1st, as you write your down your goals or, re- or set these big goals or however, whatever window you decide to do that, it's also good to go and reflect on 2017 and see what you achieved. If there's a first time for you to set resolutions, one thing you want to do in 2018 when you set them is to set them in a way that you can go back and look at them. Make sure they're written down somewhere or written in a place where you can go back and check so you can give yourself credit for those things. Um, you know, I've, I've heard people doing streaks going day to day to day. I'm not the biggest fan of that, but whatever floats your boat, floats your boat. And whatever can get you down the road will get you down the road. The key thing is, is that you're doing something consistently, checking in midway or quarterly to see how you're, how you're doing. And at the end of that cycle, at the end of the year, go back, reflect, and, don't, and feel good about 
being excited about the things that you were able to accomplish. So those are the things I would suggest. You know, and Mike, in subsequent years, he did, I think, a burger resolution where he was trying burgers from different places. And I don't remember the number he was shooting for, but he was going to try a bunch of different burger places. And then he did a, a craft beer one another year after that, where he was trying new beers every week. So those are just some examples from him. But the, but the main thing is it was a realistic goal that was highly measurable and he would get other people involved in the goal and post things publicly so that he had the accountability to achieve it. And darn if the guy didn't drink 50 milkshakes that yeah, year. Yeah, at the end, he, 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 he was on track, but then he kind of got a little messed up. And I remember him moaning a little bit about having to eat a lot of milkshakes in December. <laughs> he had to cram. I think he was like ahead of schedule for a while. And then he got behind because he thought he was like, got kind of complacent because he was ahead. And then he got behind and so he had to cram at the end. Yep. But anyway, he got it. He got it done because well, you know, you know, know, our, our, our former coaches, Mark Enstone and Amy Enstone, I understand Enstone have, uh, you know, they've year in and year out done a push up contest or a push up sort of accountability game where they tried to stay consistent with the number of push ups that they did, and then they would, you know, and it would ebb and flow depending on injury or where they were in their cycle or what was going on in life. Um, but it was always exciting to see them talk about how well how, how they had to sort of jam them in at the end and how great they felt about the fact that they achieved them so you know things can be crazy like mike's or you know sort of ancillary based like um mark and amy's or like what i'm talking about from a running perspective picking something that that will stretch you and that will give you a chance to see something at the end of the year that will allow you to feel good about what you did even if you have to do a bit of cramming yep so measurable realistic and accountable the typical things you would want to see in a goal that you might set. And, you know, the biggest thing to me is I hear a lot of people say, well, I want to lose weight or I want to eat better or I want to run more or run faster. But then they have this kind of amorphous thing with no specific tasks associated with it and no measurable things that you can kind of gauge completion. And they end up doing it for three weeks and then they fall off the bandwagon. I mean, that's a, that's the way it is. It's just like the gym is as crowded as, as it's going to be the first three weeks in January. And then it kind of mellows out as everybody decides that maybe that resolution wasn't as important as they wanted, but make it a streak. And I do, as you mentioned, there's kind of good categories of things. It could be a consistency based thing, getting in a certain number of runs. It could be an ancillary based thing. Like you said, doing a certain number of pushups a day or, potentially spending a certain amount of time each week foam rolling if that's what you need to do to stay healthy and do a little bit more self-massage. There's a lot of different things. It could be trimming back on desserts or alcohol and limiting yourself to certain you know, kind of barriers or metrics there. There could be a lot of different ways to slice it, but the point is make it specific, make it measurable and tell some friends so they can either do it with you or at least hold you accountable along the way. So Chris, I'll give your, I'll give our listeners an example. I've got one that I already had already decided um, a couple months ago, but I'm planning on kicking it off on January 1st and that's a pull-up challenge. So I'm setting a goal basically of accomplishing um, the equivalent of 
basically the equivalent of 50 pull-ups a week, which isn't a whole lot, you know, but I can cut those up any way that I want to and position them any way I want to. And I'm trying to get 600 pull-ups, right? So you, you do that math over time. And one thing I love about pull-ups is that it can tell me when I'm fat. It tells me when my, when I'm imbalanced and my muscles aren't going where they need to be. A pull-up is a great, great exercise and a great workout. And so I used to be a renowned, I used to do 30 pull-ups a night. Now I'm trying to do 50 pull-ups in a week. That's, <laughs> I mean, 50 pull-ups in a, in a month is completely different, but that's something that that's an example of looking at it long term. And if I crush, there's a chance I could just blow it out of the water and get there by, get there by May. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But by sending something that I think I can do, it lets me say, Oh, in July, if I haven't done it, I can still get it. I just have to do 20 pull-ups in that window. You know I mean? Uh, 40 pull-ups in that window or whatever the case may be, you know? So, um, that's an example that I'm looking forward to doing because I've been, uh, I try to do some pull-ups a couple months ago. And then I've tried to do them a couple of times since then. And I'm like, I need something to get me pumped up and mot- motivated about doing this. So that's a way to do it. So there's a lot of different ways to cut that up. Um, I know there's an athlete that I coach who's who in the past has run, ran just at 2000 miles. And his goal this year is to run 2,500 miles. And I indicated to him that was 10 miles a week. You know what I mean? It's like, it's pretty cool how that adds up over that t- over that window. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's lots of interesting ways to slice it all up and play with it. But it's the key thing is, um, as you said, Chris, measurable, a stretch, but measure, measurable and then keeping the accountability going. Um, and, and, and it has to be in some way, shape or form realistic, right? So for me to get on top of Mount Everest this year is not realistic. There's, I don't even think you could get it done if you had a million dollars. So <laughs> no. Well, I don't have any resolutions at this point because I'm sort of holding them off until Houston Marathon is done. I do have and one then, point I want to make, Chris. We'll reevaluate. I want to make one point, though. I do think in some cases a resolution can also be something that someone doesn't want to share with anybody else, you know? And I think that there's some power there, but the danger of that is just to realize that you're not going to have that accountability structure that would be there otherwise if you tell other people. So I think that's important that people who don't want to tell folks about their resolution, I do think that that's just fine, but it means that they're now on their own. And that may be part of what the challenge is for them. And I applaud them for that, but they need to know that there's going to be that accountability feature won't be there. And I, but I don't always think it needs to be there. Cause I know a few athletes who have made resolution for, with me in two, for 2018 that they don't want to share with anybody else, but a very, very small group of people. So that's the other thing is you, you can also do that and keep it to yourself as well. And it still be effective. Just realize you've got a, a you're going to be pulling a sled a little harder and a little longer, and you're not going to have anybody to help you take the slack up. So. Yeah. And the other point I would make is that, you know, if you, if you set one set a resolution and then you find yourself failing miserably two months into it, for whatever reason, give yourself the opportunity to reset, you know, think about that goal. Is it still important to you? You need to reevaluate your metric and set a new metric for the rest of the year or change the resolution somehow altogether. This doesn't have to be an exercise that we just do in January. It could be something that we do any time of the year or at least revisit any time of the year. And if you're not having success, revisit it. Reset the clock for yourself and then set a new goal through the end of the year, whatever point that hits. Yeah, I agree, Chris. 
I, I like to call them quarterly check-ins. You know, it's like every three months is a perfect opportunity to come in and check yourself quarterly. Another thing, Chris, if somebody's just out there saying, you know, I really kind of want to make a resolution, but I'm not really sure what I want to do and everything they've said so far doesn't resonate with me. I've got a ready-made one that everybody that's listened to this podcast in the past could use. And that's to write a statement of purpose. (laughs) (laughs) So write a statement of purpose in the month of January or write a statement of purpose to get done and written by the end of 2018. Regardless, that's a good one. And that's one that I can guarantee you if people get clear on that, um, it's nearly the best gift they'll give themselves for the whole year. That's a good point. It doesn't have to be something you do all year. It could just be doing one thing at some point. And that's as good as any. Write it down. Think about it now, especially at a time of year where typically there's a little bit more flex in your schedules as everybody's rebooting. Okay. Speaking of resolutions, for some of our listeners, whether they're new to us or maybe they've kind of been following along, some people may ask the question, how do I start a running program? And maybe that's your resolution to start or amp up a running program that's kind of in its infancy couple things. First of all, just a little context on Steve and I. We're here in Austin at Rogue Running. We have, if you live in Austin, a Couch to 5K program that starts a week and a day from the release of this episode, January 9th. So if you're here, come see us. We can take you through this process in person with our group and you can find information on that on our website at roguerunning.com. But if that's not you, we wanted to lay out some tips. If you're not here in Austin, we want to lay out some tips for how to think about starting a program and hopefully how to have success. We know there's a lot of people that start, get ambitious about running, but then fall off for a variety of reasons from feeling hurt and injured or too sore after those initial runs to maybe losing motivation and or to you know simply not really ever in finding that high, that running high, that enjoyable moment that keeps you attached to the sport. So we've got some tips for you and we'll walk through these, kind of go back and forth on six things that we recommend you think about if you're starting a running program or if you're new to the sport. The first one, which we've talked about on here in a few different ways, is that you have to start slowly. And I'm a big fan of the saying that there's no slow, only degrees of fast if you're moving through space. But the point that we make with this is that it's not about how fast you do it. It's about simply taking that first step and more importantly, do it at an easy effort for you. Slow is a relative term, so let's throw that out the door. Let's just talk about easy effort. Whatever you do, whether you start by walking 10 minutes or maybe walk jogging for 20 minutes, that should be done at an easy effort to the point where you can have a conversation while you're doing it. If you can't have a conversation, then you're going too fast and you should walk. (laughs) Yeah, you're going too fast and you should walk if you need to in order to have a conversation. Most of us can get out and walk and have a conversation. And if you have to, you know, amble, that's okay too. Whatever that point is where you can still speak and move forward through space, that's where you should be. Now, a lot of people, when I when I say that, will look at me and say, Chris, I don't need you to baby me. 
you know, I can handle it. I'm tough. I can work hard. Or I've been doing these other things that make me hard, you know, work hard and sweat. And I look back at them and I say, that's not why I'm telling you this. I'm not telling you to baby you. I'm telling you for two reasons. One, because if you run or walk at an easy conversational effort, then it's actually better for your fitness development. I won't get into all the details about why, but it's true. You're actually building your ability to run faster down the road if you run an easy conversational effort now. And then secondarily, if you do that, then you're beating up your muscles and tendons less so that you can come back out and do it the next day or two days later. What happens so often is people start a running program and they think, I'm just going to do this one mile loop or this two mile loop around my house. Maybe it's slightly longer if for those that have started and stopped at various points. And they do that. And if they just think, if I cover that loop faster today than I did yesterday, then I'm going to get faster over time. And that's just simply not true for a variety of reasons. One is because you'll likely end up injured if you do that. And two, again, it puts you in the wrong place to develop your speed and your aerobic fitness over time. So rule number one, throw the ego out the door, start slowly, start at an easy conversational effort, whatever that means for you, whether it's a slow walk or a light jog, that's where you need to start to start a running program. All right, Steve, I'll jump off my soapbox. What, what would you add to that? The first thing is that old adage of no pain, no gain is epic and utter bullshit. That it is it is at some future time in your running career, you can look at it and say, hurt so good, to, to quote John Mellencamp, right? But between now, but right now to get started, pain and suffering should not be a, a an operative term that you're going through when you get started. There is The hardest thing that you should have to do is get out the door. To begin with and to decide maybe how long you're going to go. Those two things should be the hardest decisions. There should be the hardest things that happen to you that the actual moving through space, unless you're in a really steep mountainous area, you should be able to just walk out your front door, get out on the roads and make a short, short little walk run out of it or short little run out of it and start where you're at and let it be pain free. We should not be dealing with pain in the first beginnings of any program. Um, as you progress, pain will come on um, and come as to being and come as part of this process. But to start, it should not be painful. Um, if you are, let's say that someone who listens to this decides they want to come back to it in a couple months after they're down the road a little bit, what kind of pain should you be feeling? Well, it shouldn't be aerobic distress. You shouldn't be breathing exceedingly hard. Um, and if you are breathing exceedingly hard, our point two will go into a little bit about what you can do about that. But your, your knees shouldn't be hurting. Your back shouldn't be hurting you. Your breathing should be controlled and easy. Um, and you should be in a spot where it feels like you're in control and that you could do this for a while. That's, that's my biggest suggestion because so many people are still inundated with the idea based on some kind of gym class that they had back in the day that if it doesn't, if there's no pain, then there's no gain. And that's absolutely patently not true in running. It's true only in certain portions of running, but it's not true certainly for any of our people who are getting started. The other point to make 
in this is that if you get out there and you find that you start to have discomfort, you're breathing too hard, maybe things are hurting, then back off, slow down, make it even easier. If you're doing a light jog, then start walking. If you're walking, then start walking more slowly. Do whatever you need to do to get things back in control. If you need to take a break for a second, stop, catch your breath, and then start again, that's okay. The point isn't that you cover any distance as fast as you can in these early points in your program. It's simply that you're able to cover some distance and that ideally over the course of weeks, we build that distance and we build the effort you can put into those distances. But for now, start easy. And if it gets hard, get make it easier until you feel good again and just keep moving forward. Focus on yeah. it's sort of like back in college, at least at my university, we had these pass fail classes. And so you might, you could do like one per semester pass fail and it couldn't be a, a class that was in your major. It had to be sort of more of an elective class. And so I remember signing up for Shakespeare, a Shakespeare class, thinking that I would round out my education that way. And it was interesting, although I found that I'm not a huge Shakespeare kind of person, but anyway... <laughs> But anyway, it was pass fail. It was pass fail for me. Speak, so he I doesn't was speak just, English well, does he? For being yeah, the lead, the, right. for being the greatest like, author of English, he doesn't speak English well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, it, it, I ultimately didn't get it, but I got my P because I did. You know, I got exposed to what I needed to get exposed to. I was able to kind of enjoy the parts of the class that I could enjoy, and I did what I needed to do to to pass. But I didn't have to worry about being super aggressive with working in that class or going the extra mile to get the extra, you know, kind of points on my grade. So I think of these initial runs in the beginning of a, of a program as pass fail. It's like, did you finish it Yep. or not? And it doesn't matter how fast or slow or easy you did. As long as it's not, as you're not working too hard, then your mission was accomplished in this early phase. So Chris, in the in the part of Colorado that I'm in right now, there's not a whole lot of radio stations. But the one radio station I listen to all the time is called the River Rat, and it is a straight. It is crazy. It's a straight up, it's kind of a classic rock. But they'll play anything from Rush to Gordon Lightfoot. They'll go off on all kinds of things. But their favorites are the Eagles. And so I'm going to tell our listeners for this first one: channel the Eagles and take it easy. <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah. We won't ask you to sing that and I should Okay. It's okay. You did a good job. It's that's good. I want I want them to get in there. That's what should they should be singing while they're running. And I think yeah. almost all of our listeners will probably be able to sing a little take it easy from the Eagles. So Absolutely. Now second point as we kind of progress here is that some people might ask, well, how far do I go? Or how do I mix up walk running if I'm trying to do some combination of the two? On the first point, I would say if you're not here and can't come train with us in Austin, then go to the internet and download any Couch to 5K program. Google Couch to 5K. You can find tons of options online. Find one that seems to fit your schedule and starting place that doesn't look too intimidating and then just follow it. You know, it's not more complicated than that. It's going to give you some cadence of building. Likely, usually a lot of those programs start out in minutes instead of distance. And so they're just asking you to cover certain minutes 
a day or every other day and you know f- follow that plan now as you follow that plan so a lot of people ask this question well if i'm if i need to walk run because i can't run the whole way then what should i do or what kind of combination of walking and running should i do and how should that change for me and in our couch to 5k curriculum people get really frustrated when we won't just give them an answer, but we intentionally don't give them an answer because really it all depends on your starting point. For some people, it might make more sense to start with a four minute walk interval and do one minute of running over the course of a 10 or 20 minute effort. For others, it might be that they can do two minutes of walking and two minutes of running and, and kind of start at that starting point. So really, what you have to do is find the cadence that works for you. And I usually recommend that people just pick one, start with something. And if it's too hard, then change the mix, you know, add a little bit and add an extra minute of walking and take, take away a, a minute of running, but find that interval in those initial workout days where you can finish the minutes allotted or the distance allotted and feel comfortable the entire time. And, you know, you're going to have to kind of play with the combinations of walking and running that work for you. But, you know, start with something and then kind of adjust as you go. You'll find that, you know, if you say you started at four walk, one run, you know, give yourself a week of doing that. And then the next week, try three and two. If everything's good, stick with that cadence. If it's not good, go back to four one until four one feels more comfortable and then test out the three two again after a few more workouts. So that's the idea. You kind of have to play with it, but depending on what works for you, but start at some kind of consistent walk-run ratio and then adjust that based on how you feel, all the while thinking, as long as I'm doing this at a conversational type effort, then it works. Other thoughts on that, Steve? I mean, I think I, I, I would, there's almost nothing to add to that. It's just walk. I, the way I love to tell people is walk until you feel good and then run until you feel tired and then walk until you feel good and then run until you feel tired. If you start with that, it, 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 you don't have any sort of preconceived notion of what distance it should be or anything. And, and I'm always a big fan of that and being, you know, instrumental in most of the programming that goes on at rogue. I I'm pretty sure I threw a couple of fits about people who were trying to write down specific time ranges in which people should walk and run because I think it's so important in such a crucial and critical time for athletes to begin to listen to their bodies. And I use the term athletes on purpose. If you sign up for a class or you're listening to this podcast and you're going to implement a program that's beginning couch to 5K, you're a fucking athlete in my mind. There's not any difference between you and Tom Brady. Now, he's operating at a much higher level than you are. But you're doing something that's more that's not status quo. It's getting your butt off the, the couch and getting out and moving. And I just think the most important thing to do is to listen to your own body and listen to your own rhythms. And this rock, walk run process is absolutely critical and key. The only other little like sort of specific tip I would give, um, and I guess our millennials would hear the word hack, but I hate that word, so I won't use it because it's not really a way to cheat it. It's just a it's not a shortcut. It's just another way to look at it is follow your breathing. If your breathing is in a rhythm and you're able to control it, then you're okay. 
If your breathing is out of control and it starts to begin to get shallow and shifting and changing and you can't control where your breathing is, then you're going too hard. And your breathing will almost always tell you where you're at. And the wonderful thing about the breath is, is you get fitter, it gets easier and easier to breathe at harder and harder efforts. And it's almost um, the best indicator of real true fitness, in my opinion. Now, it's got a lot of a lot of feely things going on with it, how you're feeling, how you're, what, what efforts you are going and everything else. But, you know, we can't feel our heartbeat, Chris. We don't know how many beats per minute our heart is going through. We're not able to keep track of all of that. But we can really get an idea of where our breathing's at, and we're usually pretty hyper-conscious of what's going on with our breath when we're running. And so my tip is to use your breath as a way to kind of feel what your body is feeling generally that it might need to be paying attention to and whether you should ease off or not. Yeah, if your breathing's in control, you're in a good spot. If it's not, if it's out of control, back off. You mentioned the athlete point, which is great. My fa- One of my favorite quotes is from Bill Bowerman, one of the co-founders of Nike. And he says that if you have a body, you're an athlete. Yes, it's so true. It basically means anybody listening has a body and therefore is an athlete, regardless of your starting point. So own that point. You can do this. Okay, next on the list, I want to talk about Accountability. We mentioned accountability at the top as it related to resolutions. I think accountability related to any running program is critical as well. It's one of the foundational elements of our training system is basically group-based training that if you do something with others, you're going to get more out of it yourself and you'll be more accountable along the way. And so I think it's really important for those listening who might be starting, restarting, or building to find a friend or find a group to train with, to get out with. And it could be if you're a mom living in a neighborhood, it could be other moms you're meeting to go for a workout in the morning. If it could be really anything, if you've got, you know, friends that have been talking about this and you guys talk about it together, find somebody to buddy up with and go do this stuff together. That doesn't mean you have to do every day together, but follow the program together, meet once or twice a week and do it together. And, and then of course, keep each other accountable with text messages and phone calls on those other days to make sure that the work is getting done when you're not seeing each other. It's so critical, not only to be an accountability partner, but also to kind of help you know, like whether you're doing it right. It's like give you somebody that you can kind of sort it out together with. who's going to be experiencing the things a little bit, a little bit differently than you are and might have some insights that, you haven't grasped yet and vice versa. You can kind of share back and forth your experiences and hopefully learn from each other and build together. So find a friend or if, if you're in your, your local town, go to the local running store and ask if they have or know of groups that might help beginners get started. That's another way. Another way is to go to your local YMCA and, and look at the bulletin board. Sometimes they'll put stuff up there, Chris, 
Other times you can just stand, be, just go consistently at the same time to your local running tracks or your local running um, places where people go to do running. And if you go there consistently over a period of time, you'll start running into similar people, shake your head at them, you know, you know, nod at them or introduce yourself. And after a little while, you may end up finding out that there's three to four to five people that are right there on the trail, right there on that little section of road that you can run with. Accountability can be found anywhere. And if you don't have a group, you can make one too. You can just make them out of your family members, make them out of your uh, other folks in your community by hook or crook. This is probably, um, you know, the first two are foundational, Chris, I would say, but I kind of think that this one is the most important because it's the one way that, that, that you can create a built in guarantee. You'll stick with it. The other things just sort of they're good they're good things in the context of the run itself but this one is really good in the context of how you want to be doing this for a long long time you know and um you know I think that it's the one aspect that our beginners may not think of as important or crucial or critical because they're probably just saying oh I just want to get started and I'm a little embarrassed I don't want to do it with other people but even if that's the case and you do go a month or two months or three months just doing it by yourself that, I get that, and that's fine. But I think it's really important to very quickly find a community of people, to find accountability partners that will help you stay with this so you can stay, keep this as a goal that goes through the entire year of 2018 rather than something that might just happen for a month or two months. Yep. I want to give a shout-out here to a local organization called Marathon Kids, which started as a group that was basically helping get elementary age, K-5th through fifth graders, moving in Austin. They then expanded to other cities around the country, basically getting kids to run a marathon over the course of a semester in their school program. So they were doing a lap or two at a time and building to a marathon. They've evolved that program over the last few years, now partnering with Nike. So they have these running club concepts that are for kids, but also for adults and families to get involved together. So you can actually go to their website, marathonkids.org, and sign up for a relatively cheap rate to start a running club. They give you a program that you can follow. They give you tools that you can use to kind of gather other people and coach them with you as you do this. But you can do a neighborhood group. You can do a church running group. You can do a work group, maybe where you're going at lunch. You could also do it with families and get kids involved and get your kids active if that's your situation. So that's another resource to check out if you're if you're sort of don't have a group or not sure how to get others involved with you. It's go to marathonkids.org and check out their resources for starting a running club because it's really beginner friendly programming that they have. And for the kids involved, if you have kids involved, they can actually earn some cool rewards through Nike that like t-shirts and little trinkets that are fun for them. So check that out, marathonkids.org. Now, another thing as it relates to kind of sustaining progress, Steve, is picking a goal race. And for us, this is also super critical. It's been a foundational part of Rogue from the very beginning is that all of our programming, even if we have people training with us year round, is geared around these events, big events uh, from 5Ks to 10Ks to half marathons and marathons. But you got to pick something out there in the future that gives you a target, gives you a goal. And for those that are beginning, a 5K is a perfect distance. 
to tackle initially, whether you're able to run the whole way or you have to run walk it, that's completely fine. But find a local 5K that sounds interesting to you and put that on the calendar two, three months down the road, maybe even four months, depending on where you are, and give yourself something to shoot for. When you have a goal at the end of your journey, even if it's an interim goal, then it's also going to help you stay accountable and give you something to think about, a carrot to think about when you don't want to get out the door on a given day. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, that's like the, that's the one that, and I like to say this all the time, when we were kids, we loved to have a line. We would just absolutely get so excited about having a starting line. Somebody could just draw a line in the sand and then draw, point to another tree and say, hey, let's go run to this other spot. Let's go do this run. Let's race from one place to another. And I think that that's in all of our natures generally as people. I think that as kids, we were always that way. And I think we still have that sort of sense of play and chase that's in our structure. And I think if people listen, think about the idea of a race and putting something on the schedules kind of in that sense of play and just giving yourself something that you can have a, a place to start and a place to finish. Um, and, um, and a group of other people that are doing it with racing is so crucial and so critical in my opinion to this process. Um, and I think that, uh, it, it, it sort of encapsulates all the other points, right? Except for the go easy point. It's like, it's got the accountability in there. It's got the, it's got the push the limits, try to go after it. It's listen to your body, know what, know what's going on in your body. It's, it's sort of the, the way state, one of the key way stations to go through to figure out, to, de- re- to realize and understand and even figure out that that racing is actually a fun and exciting thing to do. Um, how many people do you know, Chris, that got started doing a 5k or getting ready, just going out and running. And then next thing they know, they're just so excited about doing a 10k or a half marathon. And of course, that's not that what they were saying is they wanted to run 52 weeks a year or they wanted to get fit. What it was, was that there was some kind of thing out there to hold them accountable that they could get excited about and share with their friends and family that they could support them about. And this is one of the key aspects that I think that that really will suck our our listeners into a lifelong and consistent healthy lifestyle. Racing is a key part of that. Okay, next thing I want to talk about point five is what do you need to do to support the running? And this is a big topic because there's lots of things you can do, but it's not just about the running. Our aerobic systems tend to develop faster than our neuromuscular systems. And so you're going to feel sore. You're going to feel some pain. If you haven't been active for a while or if you're just newly active, then you got to get the chassis, the, the muscles and the nerves and the tendons and ligaments ready to continue to handle the load that you're bringing to it. And so you need to add some supplemental activities to your routine to stay healthy. And it doesn't have to be spending a lot of time. We'll give a couple of examples here. One of the things that we make as a point to all of our athletes is that your post-run routine, is, in order to stay healthy, is going to vary by the individual. And so you may have to play with a few things in order to find the, the routine that works for you. But all you'll need to do is spend 10 minutes after your workout doing some supplemental things. And it could include, <clears throat> and I'll post links to some routines on this. It could include post-run stretching, which we have a protocol that we believe in and we can post a video in the show notes on how to do that. 
but a little bit of post-run stretching can help those muscles cool down from the walk or run or walk run combination that you've done in order to be ready for the next day's work. So that's one thing we highly recommend doing some very basic foot drills, whether you're a new runner or you're a more advanced runner after one or two workouts a week that will take you literally five minutes of time in order to, to get those done. So that's another example. And then of course, we highly recommend some really basic core strengthening work in order to get your stabilizing muscles ready to support the load that you're bearing while you're walking and running. And I can post, again, some links to those three things as examples of things you can do. What I would do is, is pick one in your first week of work to try and add to your routine. See how that makes you feel. If everything's good, keep that into your routine. And then maybe the next week or two weeks later, add one other thing to your routine and see how that fits and see how it makes you feel and then just adjust or play with things or if something doesn't work for you then swap it out for something else but adjust and play with things in order to see what seems to be keeping you healthy as you go because that strength those very basic drills and some flexibility work is going to keep that chassis ready so that you can get out and do the next day's work the other thing i'll mention here is that even if you are keeping the efforts easy, you're going to find that you're probably sore in those initial two or three weeks. And a lot of times when we as athletes get sore, we traditionally, because of the mythology out there about soreness, we shy away from the next day's workout maybe because we're worried that our muscles are too sore to complete it. And really what you should do is get out there and do it anyway. And just because your muscles are sore. Now, if you're injured and you feel like some pain that's more injury related, then certainly don't get out there another day. But if you're just sore, if you just have that typical soreness from a workout, then get out there, do the work the next day, regardless of how you're feeling. And if you need to start easier on that next day, start easier on the next day, that's okay. But as I constantly say to my runners, movement equals blood flow equals healing. So you'll find that on those days where you start sore, if you, if you go, if you walk around easy enough through that soreness, that by the end of that runner workout, you're going to feel better on the other side because you've gotten blood flow, blood flow to those sore areas and they've kind of been able to flush themselves out. So that's something to remember as you go. What am I missing, Steve? You didn't miss anything. The one thing that I will reiterate again is that if you are sore um, and you've got and you've decided to add other things to your system, to your to what you're doing, many people will lift weights at the same time that they start running. If you don't want to get out there and go for a run, then at least that day don't do – there would be really – a poor decision to do nothing. Even if you do lift some weights or do some, or do some, uh, some lunges or do some other things, that's very helpful to getting all that blood flow, getting blood flow going through that system and work, getting it out of those working muscles. We, I'm with Chris. I prefer you going out for a run and getting some time in, but I also think that there's ways for you to dissipate, dissipate some of that real soreness with other activities. So that's something to keep in mind and something to consider. Okay, that's point five. Add some other activities to your routine to stay healthy. Point six, which you often hear in these types of discussions, is that you need to get some gear to help you do this in a healthy way. If you go out and run in combat boots, obviously you're going to be more prone to injury than if you have a good pair of running shoes. Now, our take on this might be a little bit different because we have a unique perspective on footwear. 
that I want to talk about briefly, but you should go to a local running store and get fitted for a pair of shoes. Now, what does that mean? First of all, I want to tell you that you don't have to spend $150 or $160 on a pair of running shoes to get what you need in order to run in a healthy way. You do need to spend $100 to $120, however. If you get the $50 or $60 pair at Academy then or Dick Sporting Goods or one of those sporting warehouses, it's probably not going to be good for you because they take shortcuts with those, with those price ranges. And also shoes in those price ranges tend to not be very durable. So you're not going to actually get the value out of them that you would out of $100, $110, $120 pair of shoes. But you want to spend at least $100 to $120. I personally wouldn't spend more than that if you're a beginner. You don't need the $150, $160 shoe. That's point one. Point two is that the shoe is not meant to control, stabilize, or provide some kind of motion control to your foot. That isn't the intention. The shoe should merely facilitate how your body moves through space. You walk into some running stores and they're going to watch you walk. They may put you on a treadmill and they're going to say, you overpronate. And they're going to throw out some scary things and they're going to get you convinced that if you don't somehow control that overpronation, you're going to end up injured because of it. And I'm here to tell you that's utter and complete bullshit. Basically, pronation is the body's natural braking mechanism. You roll through from the outside, usually to the inside, and then often back to the, to the outside. You roll through different range of motion with your ankle in order to properly brake as you land on the ground. So you're dissipating the force of each foot strike over kind of a nice rolling motion versus one intense thud. And that over or that pronation is your body's simply natural braking mechanism. At some point, somebody decided over, quote, over pronation was a bad thing. But really, truly, if you pronate more than somebody else, it might just mean that your body needs a little bit more space and movement in order to break itself than someone else. Now, what does that mean if you walk into a running store? Generally, what I would tell you, if you're listening to this, is that you should walk into a running store that has running specific footwear and tell them that you'd like to try on four to five neutral shoes. They'll understand that term neutral. Neutral shoes of different varieties, different brands, different weights, perhaps different heel toe drops. Just tell them to bring out four to five options in the $100 to $120 range in the neutral category. Try on each of those shoes. Walk around the store. Jog outside if they'll let you. And then pick the shoe of the four or five that they bring out that feels most natural to you, that disappears when you put it on, that you don't have to think about as you walk or run in that store. You want to turn your brain off. It's not necessarily the shoe that feels the best, but it's simply the shoe that kind of disappears, that feels most natural. And that is the shoe you should walk out of the store with. And then you should try that shoe and give it a shot and see how things go. And if things aren't working after one run or one walk run or one walk, then take it back. Most running stores are good about working with you and, and giving you the ability to, to have kind of a generous return policy and then try something else and, and repeat the process just as I described. That's going to be a better bet than them saying, you need a stability shoe. You need to control that pronation. We're going to put you in something that's going to actually limit how your body moves because if you don't walk in injured, there's no reason to actually control something. 
So you want to find that neutral shoe that disappears when you put it on that feels most natural to you. That's the shoe that's right for you. Don't let them tell you anything otherwise. Don't let them put you on the treadmill. Don't let them watch you walk. Just do exactly as I said, and you'll you'll be more likely to end up in the right shoe for you than if you listened to them, unfortunately. Okay, Steve, I'm going to jump off my soapbox again there. <laughs> but it's important. <laughs> it's important to get the right footwear. But they're doing- the, uh, the, the- the uh, whatever whatever they're selling, whatever special doohickey that this particular shoe has, if you follow Chris's advice and got the neutral shoe, then whatever doohickey might be the thing that might be the most important thing doesn't really matter. Just go by feel. Walk out of there in the one. The, the key thing Chris said there is the shoe should disappear, and if the shoe disappears, then go with it. Um, and and honestly. I've been doing this for a very long time. I've run in all kinds of shoes. I've even gone running without shoes. I've gone. I've done everything that there is to do. And I will tell you, a simple, basic, one hundred to one hundred twenty dollar neutral shoe is the shoe I run in all the time, no matter what. And I don't even matter. Doesn't even matter to me what brand it is. It. I'm. I'm a little bit weird that way. I could put any as long as it fits my fat foot. I'm okay, because I know that basically these shoe companies have got that down right now. Running shoes are nearly the best that they've ever been, in my opinion, if you run in a neutral shoe. You've got a wide variety of new things to try, new brands, new ways they fit. They're playing with different technologies. But at the end of the day, a lightweight neutral shoe is going to be very beneficial to every one of our listeners, no matter where you are. No matter what your current weight is, no matter how many miles a week you run as a beginner, no matter if you're going to walk mostly or run mostly, it doesn't matter. A lightweight, neutral shoe that fits on your foot well and disappears is exactly the way to go. Now, some people may be listening and they'd say, hey, Chris, but I've always had foot problems. I've got a collapsing arch or I've got a, a foot deformity or something wrong that's giving me problems, whether I've been running or doing something else or just walking around or maybe standing up at work. If that's you, then... The answer it may be slightly different, but usually in those cases, I recommend finding a good podiatrist who works with runners who can get you fitted in an orthotic that matches whatever foot challenges you have. And then you put that orthotic in a neutral shoe so that you can then get the right natural movement for your foot. So that would be my recommendation if you have chronic foot problems. No, that's it, Chris. That's the whole point. You, you, you uh, basically said that the story may be kind of different, but not. It's not. The story is exactly the same. Still a neutral shoe, but with just go to see a doctor, a good podiatrist, try to get some good recommendations, and then you know, Chris and I, we're I'm anti-orthotic as far as you can get with anti-orthotic, except for the people that need orthotics, and then I am so pro-orthotic. It's it's crazy. I don't want them. I want to try to figure out a way to get that orthotic in my athletes is racing flats if I can, which is impossible. But you know, (laughs) when you need them, you need them and go to see someone and don't go buying off the rack, super feet, soft sole, all these other things. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not, it's not the best thing for your feet in my opinion. Right. Waste of money generally. So the other thing you would need, so good pair of shoes, good neutral shoe. And then the second thing I recommend is just, a running outfit and it starts with the socks you want to get some technical socks you'll find those at the running store you go to 
They're going to be priced more than probably any pair of socks you've ever paid for between usually 11 and $14, sometimes more. But if you get a good wicking sock that is made of technical fabric, your feet are going to be so much happier with you. And you won't end up with the blisters and hot spots that you would in a cotton sock. So invest in three or four pairs of technical socks. Then I also recommend getting, you know, at least one or two very basic running outfits also made with technical materials. A dry fit, which is Nike's term for a technical top, dry fit top, and a basic pair of running shorts will be perfect for women. Get a sports bra, a running bra that will actually do what you need to do up top to keep things in control. That'll also be kind of critical part of the outfit. But get some technical apparel and technical socks to go with those running shoes so that you don't end up with the chafing and the, the sweaty mess of a shirt that you might have if you know, you're just going out in your normal kind of cotton workout shoes, workout clothes and, and shorts. All right, so that's our, our bit on getting the right gear. The And really, that was the, the last thing we were going to mention. So kind of to recap here, start slow, number one. Number two, work on the right balance between running and walking, trying to stay in that easy conversational effort the entire time, regardless of the mix that you need. Number three, find a friend and a group. Get somebody who can hold you accountable. Number four, pick a race, pick a 5K in the future that you can go tackle. Number five, do some other activities to support your running. And I'll post information on the foot drill stretching and the strength exercises that we would recommend as a starting place. And then number six, go to a running store and get some good running shoes and technical apparel that'll help you do this in a way that you can enjoy it more. Again, good neutral shoes that disappear on your feet is the ticket. Now, as we close this out, Steve, I wanted to maybe address some of the pitfalls that people might have along the way, because there's a lot of things that pop up. And one of those I see both in new runners, but also sometimes in runners that are restarting programs that have been, you know, that are more experienced is that sometimes when they miss a day or two in the schedule, they just let that create this inertia that causes them to stop altogether. And so I wanted to address that for a second and just simply say that, look, if the schedule says go out for 20 minute walk or run and you, for whatever reason, don't feel like you can do 20 minutes or it, you have a tight day or whatever it may be, go out and do 10 minutes. Go do five minutes. Go do anything at all. Something is always better than nothing because it keeps that momentum. And you know, by the way, 20 usually is an arbitrary number anyway. So if you're doing 15, it's going to give you 80% of the benefit you would get out of 20. And you got it done. You maintain your, your momentum. You kind of kept things moving forward. So always do something. And oftentimes you'll find that once you get out there and you do 10, you're like, you know what? I can do another 10 and you end up getting the full 20 in or whatever it may be. So always do something rather than nothing. If you feel like you can't get it in. What are some other thoughts on pitfalls, Steve, and how they can overcome them? So almost every athlete that I've ever worked with that started from, uh, sort of from a point of zero or at least a point of having done anything for 
you know, three weeks to six weeks, which many people fall into, they usually tell me that they have terrible shin splints. And they'll think that shin splints is a thing that they need to stop running. Let me make sure that our listeners understand what shin splints are. If you look at your tibia or at the, from the, the area between your knee and your foot, there's a bone that runs down the middle of it that's pretty obvious where you can see it. All right. On your right hand, if you're looking down at that knee and you go to your right, you'll feel some muscle there. That's a shin on your right side. On your left side, below your knee, left hand, find that bone, go to the left, and that's your shin on the left side. If those areas are hurting you, then you need to get back out the door and walk or run again. You need to work it. And one way that you can guarantee If you don't, if you decide to take a break on your shin splints and say they hurt too bad, then you're going to put yourself another day or another two days behind. You need to continue to follow the plan if your shins are hurting you in the place that I told you. So that's in that shin spot. One thing you can do right off the bat, if you think that you might get shin splints or you're someone who might get shin splints after a week or two weeks or three weeks of doing this activity, is to do something so simple. It's called toe taps. And all you do is you're standing straight up with your with your uh, your your knees at about right right you know standing with a, your feet about uh, you know six inches apart, sort of where your shoulders are, and you just standing stock still. You lift you keep your weight on your heel and you lift your toe towards your knee on your right foot, and then you bring it back down, and then you you, you do the same thing on your left. So you lift your toe. From the ground to your knee and then back down, toe tap, toe lifts. You're just lifting up and lifting down, lifting up and lifting down. Do that for 10 seconds, twice a week. I mean, twice a day, two or three times a week. If you do that consistently, even if you have shin splints, your shin splints will go away. Many of us have not done activities that allow us to use those tendons and ligaments and muscles in the way that we use them in running. Because we're not a culture that walks anymore. And so running is a sport, but we don't walk the way we used to. And so the shins can get sore. And I almost always think that they're the first place. And they are really painful. I understand how they hurt. I'll give people an example. I've been running all my life. But if I decide to go to a – when I go to a, a, a marathon like at Chicago and I walk to like – I'll walk sometimes three, four, five miles during that time frame. The next day I can't walk at all. My shins are killing me. And what do I do? I just immediately start doing toe taps. I would be smarter if I did the toe taps before I went out to those races, but I don't. But I do them immediately afterwards and my my pain starts to go away no matter how bad it is. There are times where I've come off of a marathon where I've walked that far and been like, I can't walk. I can't even get to the airport. But if I do my, my toe lifts, it makes a big difference. I know that seems like um, maybe a little bit of a too much detail there, except for the fact that shin splints are the most easy pain to get over. And so many runners have them and many people get them even if they've taken a break of three to four weeks from running, they might get the shin splints and you just got to move through them and use them. Yeah, basically that muscle there on top gets overpowered by your calf because that's the bigger muscle on the back of your leg. And so in that push-pull of your foot, that little muscle gets tears in it because your calf is the bigger muscle and it's doing more work, kind of causing little tears in that front muscle. So you have to strengthen it. And, yes. and to strengthen it, you do toe lifts. As he mentioned, as, as Steve said, toe taps, another word for it. The other thing you can do is walk on your heels. And so if you're going out 
for a 20 minute walk run, start the run by walking the first 30, 40 meters on your heels and you'll feel the soreness develop on the top of that shin. And that's where you're basically working that muscle. And then after 40 meters, just get back into your rather regular walking rhythm and go about your, the rest of your workout normally. But that's another way you can get to it. Toe taps or heel walking either way. But your overall point, Steve, is that, hey, you're going to run into some pains. You're going to run into some barriers, some things that you think should take you out of the game and make, and make you stop altogether. But the point generally with running is that inactivity is not a way to recover from that pain. You need to be active. And that activity could mean getting out for that next workout. Or it could mean doing some activities, whether they be strength or stretching or drills, in order to work through that issue or soreness and come back stronger on the other side so inactivity is not your friend it's only going to make it worse and obviously derail you from the goal that you had which is hopefully to get to that race on the calendar that you set for yourself so there you go those are our tips for beginners but i I have one more go for it one more over overarching one and it should be it should be the addendum to every one of the six points that we made, right? And that's to smile. It's so – I know it sounds so cheesy, but it is it, it is so real that if you – you know that what you're doing is good for you. And if you'll just give yourself permission to know it during the process that you're doing it, when you're running or as you start to run or after you finish a run, just smile. Fake it if you got to. Fake it till you make it. But smile some because that smiling will make you – begin to realize quickly how much that this can be your medicine. And if you take this medicine, this running, walking, run, walking, this beginning activity, it can turn into a lifetime of smiles that will last so for so long, more than you can imagine. And I highly recommend that people smile during each step of that process because I think it can make a crucial difference in the enjoyment and the consistency and the stick to of the people that might be doing that. So listeners, keep smiling. Smile and celebrate your progress as you go. Check the boxes on that schedule. Celebrate each week completed, each run completed, and then definitely celebrate after that first goal race completed. All right, we'll conclude it there, and I want to come back to the quote from Bill Bowerman, which is that if you have a body, then you're an athlete. So it's time to take the tips that we've laid out here, those six things, and put them to work in the new year to get your running program started. And if you're on this journey or want to go for it, do share your stories with us. Or if you have questions, you can email me, chris at roguerunning.com or steve sisson at roguerunning.com. We're here to help. And if you have questions along the way, we do listener podcasts here and there, and we'll likely answer that question on a podcast or maybe respond via email, but give you the opportunity to interact with us if you start your journey and have a hiccup and need some help along the way. So we're here. Please reach out to us with those questions if you have them. Otherwise, we're going to wrap it here. Good luck to everybody in the new year. We hope you have a great 2018 pick those resolutions wisely and we hope to be celebrating some of those resolutions completed after we have 52 episodes next year with the running rogue podcast so there you go steve that's episode 55 of the running rogue podcast as always you can check us out at our website at roguerunning.com 
or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.